How are you feeling today? Are you feeling alive and energetic or lethargic and weak? Listen to your heart. Welcome to the Healing Whisper, a return to peace. Your host for the hour is Dr. Marianne Chase. When we fail to understand and work on the root cause of our stress and illness, we seem to be in a never-ending spiral of poor health and low energy. It's time to re-harness that potential in order to live a better life. Now, here's Dr. Marianne. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Dr. Marianne Chase, and I am so glad to have you with me today. Today, we have a very special guest, and we will be talking about binge eating. It's a subject that really hits to the heart of just about everyone. But before we get into that subject, I'd like to let everybody know you can connect with me on Facebook, the Healing Whisper page, as well as Twitter, LinkedIn, and my website, thehealingwhisper.com. I'd also like to remind everybody after the show, head on over to voiceamerica.tv and check out my videos there. Today's video that is just released is about trust, and it will be giving you the healing code hand positions where you can follow right along for healing trust issues. I'd also like to let to let everyone know that this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to treat, diagnose, heal, or cure anything. Everything contained in this show is strictly the opinion of myself, Dr. Mary Ann Chase, and my guest today, Dr. Glenn Livingston. Please, Always check with a licensed health care provider about any concerns that you may have. So welcome, Dr. Glenn, to the show. I am so happy to have you with me. Dr. Marianne, I've been looking forward to this all week, and please call me Glenn. Okay, I will be happy to. Before we launch into that, let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Dr. Glenn... Glenn Livingston is a veteran psychologist and a longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm, which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. Dr. Glenn's work, theories, and research have been published in major periodicals. Disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer the overweight and or food-obsessed individual, Dr. Livingston spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most important, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and the food prison to a normal, healthy weight and much more lighthearted relationship with food. And I I want to personally add that uh, Dr. Glenn has written a book. It's called Never Binge Again, and we'll be talking about that book today. And it's actually a free book. So uh, we'll be letting you all know how to get a hold of that book. So let me ask you right off the top, 
Why are overeating, stress eating, binge eating so prevalent today? I mean, that's a loaded question. Well, Marianne, I, I think that that is a loaded question. And I think that there's a perfect storm in our country and in the world today, which is conspiring to make that the case. Everybody knows that that's the case. Everybody looks around and they can see that we're, you know, 20% fatter or so than we used to be, you know, 20 years ago. And um, everybody knows about the supersize phenomenon. And But I, I think what's happening, and I, I found myself in, in a unique position to observe this, is I think that there are three industries that are not consciously working together, but really all wired towards the same aim um, that are reinforcing one another and just creating this term. The first one would be big food. So what's happening in big food, and I've done a lot of consulting for big food over the years, um, and I almost wish that I hadn't now that I know what I know. But what's really happening in big food is that they're they're spending billions of dollars to engineer these hyperpalatable food-like substances. It's not really food, it's a food-like substance. Um, concentrated forms of sugar and oil and fat and starch and excitotoxins and sodium and and you know coloring agents and and, and thickening agents and on and on and on. Um, which create these intensely pleasurable condensed sources of pleasure that our evolution didn't neurologically prepare us to handle. And so, you know, in short, it's, it's kind of like a drug. Um, and, and there are, there's a whole series of studies that not a lot of people know about that were done in the late fifties and early sixties by these doctors named Milner and Olds. And they did them on rats, and whether they were ethical or not is debatable, but um, they implanted electrodes in the brain of the rats in the pleasure centers. I think it was a cingulate cingulate gyrus, I forget exactly where it is, but it was in the pleasure center. And they wired those electrodes to a lever that the rats could press themselves. And what they found was amazing. The rats ignored everything else to press, the, press that lever thousands of times a day. You could take a starving rat, put good, palatable, healthy rat food in the cage, and the rat would ignore the food to go press the lever. You could take a pregnant nursing mother rat who would abandon her pup to go press the lever thousands of times. You could take a rat and put an electrical grid between it and the lever, and it would cross the electrical grid at the expense of extreme pain to itself to go press the lever thousands of times a day. And so what they proved, and this was repeated later on in higher mammals and I think eventually humans in very similar ways, what they found was that when the mammalian brain's pleasure center is short-circuited, you know, when you give it a mechanism to stimulate the pleasure center outside of the normal evolutionary ways that it's supposed to be stimulated, that that animal will engage in self-neglect, it will ignore its other survival needs in order to press that lever. And I don't think that when you look at the food-like substances that are being engineered and the bags and boxes and containers and you know things that they come in, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that we've all been given these pleasure buttons that we want to press at the expense of ignoring our survival needs. So that so you have that. You have big food and you know the billions of dollars of research that goes into 
engineering these hyperpalatable food-like substances. Then you have big advertising. Um, and most people believe that advertising doesn't work on them. But guess what? Advertising <laughs> works better when you think it doesn't work on you. Do you know why? Well, it's uh, going into that subconscious. Your guard is down, if it, so to speak. Your guard is down. Yeah, your defenses are down. And, and, and you know, some advertising is stupid and doesn't really work and it's just, you know, wasted because it's not measured the right way. But, but by and large, especially in today's internet age, with all the trackability and measurement and computability, um, these companies know what they're spending their billions of dollars on. And there, there are something like 6,000, 7,000 messages about food beamed at us every year through the airwaves, over the internet, on billboards, wherever you look. And virtually none of them are saying, eat more fruits and vegetables, right? Like, is there 1% of those advertisements that are saying, you should eat more fruits and vegetables? I don't think so. So you've got big advertising making sure that you know where those pleasure buttons are and how you can get them cheap, right? That, right. That's what big advertising does. Then you've got the addiction treatment industry, which says that you can't quit, you can only abstain one day at a time. You shouldn't create rules for yourself, you should only create guidelines and try to follow them 90% of the time. Um, you're, you're powerless to resist. So basically they're saying, I bet you can't just have one. Right. right. <laughs> and, a and very famous potato chip commercial. <laughs> a, a very famous, right. So they're kind of re they're reinforcing that. They say there's no human defense against it. And so people believe that they don't have free will that these are irresistible impulses, that they can't quit even if they wanted to. They're, they believe that you know, they're just kind of sitting here with open eyes and open ears and an open heart for all of the advertising messages. They don't have any idea how nature necessarily intended pleasure to be experienced. They're so used to the high that they get from these concentrated food-like substances that... Um, you know, the free conspire in today's society to really um, create an epidemic. And it's, um, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Well, and now, so here we are bombarded daily, yearly, you know, 24-7, as it were, by food commercials saying you can't just eat one. You know, you have to eat the whole bag. And then you have to go back and buy another bag, as well as many of the others, and you've got these big food trying to tell us, well, you're really eating this boxed food that has more chemicals in it than it has food, and it's healthy for you. It's good for you, but it, it's, it's not. It, it's a lie. So now, how do we get past this? You've already talked about how the rat we're, we're stuck with our rat brain, our lizard brain, telling us, oh, pleasure, oh, pleasure, oh, pleasure. And how do you overcome that? Because there is a physical addiction, is there not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's um, much less difficult to overcome the physical part than most people realize. You're... you're uh, the research suggests that your 
Chase Buds will. Now, I, I'm not telling everybody to just stop having all the bags and boxes and containers or to give up sugar or whatever. It's it's up to them what they want to do. And and at some point, Marianne, I want to tell people a little bit about my background and my personal story because I'm I'm not just a psychologist. I was really a guy who formerly suffered with overeating for decades, and I lost a bunch of weight. And you know, I I I had the obsession, and nobody suffered more than I did with this. So I'm not just being a psychologist in my ivory tower. I really fought this out in the trenches. So I, I want to say a little bit more about that in a little bit, but, um, okay. Yeah. What, um, you know, I can tell you that at least for people like me, people who felt like they just couldn't stop eating, who were looking for love at the bottom of a you know bag or a box or a container, um, who tried desperately to love themselves, then went to you know, therapists or over anonymous or psychiatrists or tried medication or, read this book or another book and that it's not not what you're reading, it's what's eating you. People who've been down that road forever, um, it, it turns out that what happens is it's really the lizard brain that gets addicted. And loving the lizard brain doesn't really do any good because when the lizard brain, the lizard brain is the, is the part of our anatomy which evolved first. And when it sees something in the environment, it thinks like a lizard. It thinks, do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. That's how the lizard brain thinks. It doesn't think about what impact this is going to have on my family. It doesn't think about how is this going to affect the people that I love. The lizard brain doesn't know love. It doesn't think about society or long-term goals or creativity or music or religion or inspiration or soul. It doesn't think about any of that. It just thinks eat, mate, or kill. All of the rest of it, all the stuff that we value, that we think of as uniquely human, that lives a lot more in the upper brain structures, in the, um, in the part we call the neocortex or logical brain. It's not, it's not quite this simple, and a neuroanatomist would take me to task, but um, <laughs> you know, for, for, for all intents and purposes, that, that's what's happening. And what we really need is a mechanism to separate ourselves from the lizard brain at the moment of impulse, to develop more of a sense of disdain or e even disgust so that you can wake up when it happens. And um, when the lizard brain sees something, you can wake up and remember who you are and say, oh, I don't want to go down that road again. I've been down there. That doesn't go anywhere good. And um, tell me to pause if you want me to pause. I can go on and tell you more about how to, how to stop it. But um, Well, we have a couple of minutes left here before the break. So um, let's just, uh, we were talking about that logical brain coming overcoming the lizard brain. And in your book, you talk about the pig. And, <laughs> and I, I love that title. But uh, the pig is is what is the lizard brain? Is that correct? Well, okay. So th this is a little embarrassing as a sophisticated solid psychologist and successful <laughs> business person um, because this is how I solved it for myself. I, I'd come across an alternative addiction literature by a guy named Jack Trimpey at rational.org. And he's the one who really pointed out the paradigm of you know, the, the, um, he, he calls it something different. He protects the term, so I'm not going to say it. But, you know, the brain stem versus the human consciousness that lives in the upper brain and said that you need to separate from it as opposed to, um, as opposed to, to loving it more. 
what what I had to do is make a lot of adaptations because he works largely with drugs and alcohol, things that you can give up entirely. I, I had to make a lot of adaptations for um, working with food where you, you have to take the lion out of the cage and walk it around the block at least three times a day, right? Right. So, so I, I, here's what I did. I, I did. I decided that my lizard brain was going to be my inner pig. Well, let and, me interrupt you because we need to go on a break. And so let's take that lion for a walk right after the break. So folks, don't go away. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you feeling stuck? Sometimes we just need a little help from a friend. Go beyond ordinary healing and experience the extraordinary healing journey possible with custom Healing Code Coaching with Dr. Marianne Chase. Visit TheHealingWhisper.com. Dr. Chase's coaching sessions can be conducted via Skype or by telephone. If you have half an hour to devote to getting yourself out of that rut, Dr. Marianne is ready to be that friend. Visit TheHealingWhisper.com and click Coaching. Like many of us, do you feel constantly tired or run down? Weight gain, sugar addiction, stress, and other health issues wear down our bodies and our spirit. You can take control of these and get yourself back on track. Tune into Living Life Naturally with host Lynn Wadsworth. Lynn can help you lower or get rid of migraines, help you maintain a healthy weight, deal with hormone imbalances, and more. Listen live every Friday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Healing Whisper, a return to peace. If you would like to comment or have a question about our show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. If you'd rather send an email, our email address is thehealingwhisper at mindspring.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Marianne Chase, and today's special guest is Dr. Glenn Livingston, who has written the book, Never Binge Again. Just before the break, we were talking about taking the lion out for a walk at least three times a day, and that lion being the food that we really need to eat, and the alternative psychology that was developed to really actually is for alcohol and drug addiction, but uh, Dr. Glenn has adapted that. So Glenn, tell us about taking that lion for a walk, and and then tell us about your own story. Well, okay. Let me tell you just a speck about my story first so you understand why I was willing to do anything. (laughs) I'm a a psychologist from a family of psychologists and psychotherapists. And that's all I ever really wanted to be. I I just wanted to help people when they were struggling. I wanted to alleviate suffering with my psychological knowledge and empathy. That's all I ever wanted to do. And when I was a kid, I had what you would call exercise bulimia, which means that I'm six foot four and fairly muscular. And I discovered that if I exercise three hours a day or so, that I could eat whatever I wanted to. I mean, 6,000, 7,000 calories a day was no problem. Multiple pizzas, muffins, bagels, whatever I wanted to eat, I could eat. And I, I felt like I discovered a real trick. I felt like um, I was cheating the system and everybody else couldn't eat this stuff and I could eat it. But when I got to graduate school and I was married and I, I'm divorced now, but I was married and I had um, – Patients, they started to send us patients in graduate school, and I had all these responsibilities. And I was commuting for an hour and a half a day at some point. I just couldn't find the time to work out for three hours a day. I could barely find the time to work out for a half hour a day. But I found that I couldn't stop thinking about food. I couldn't stop eating the five or 6,000 calories a day. And I got fatter and fatter. And there are very significant cardiovascular risks in my cardiovascular genetics. So the doctors were yelling at me and telling me that I was going to die when I was 35. And I remember my triglycerides were over 1,000 at one point. And, um, you know, the doctor thought he was going to pass out when he saw them. <laughs> and, and Yeah, I mean, it was, it was scary. It was scary. Um, and, and so I was desperate. And I, I went to Overeaters and Overeaters Anonymous for a couple of years. I funded my own 40,000-person study um, to look at, you know, because I was – doing all this big consulting, and I knew how to do that, and internet traffic was cheap in those days. Yeah. And I, I, I did this big survey with 40,000 people to correlate um, different types of life experiences with the different foods that people craved and couldn't stop eating. And I found some really interesting things. For example, I found that chocolate was um, people that struggled with chocolate. My sister can have two squares of chocolate and fold up the rest and put it away for Sunday. And I, I don't get that. I don't know what's wrong with her because I two squares of chocolate just is just a nibble for me. If I do that, I need to have, you know, three or four bars and a pizza and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it turns out that people that struggle with that are more likely to be struggling with some type of loneliness or heartbreak in their life. And you know, so for example, I, I thought, well, I was having trouble in my marriage at the time and um and I went and 
So I thought it made sense. And I went and I talked to my mom and I said, is there anything in my historical pattern that, because she's a therapist too, that would make you think that, you know, I went to chocolate when I was heartbroken. And she said, well, as a matter of fact, there was this thing called Bosco when you were a kid, this chocolate syrup. I'm dating myself by saying that, but there was a, <laughs> do you remember it, Marianne? I, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. I probably shouldn't ask you, but that nice for a man to ask a lady. So there's this chocolate syrup, and she said when I was crying, if I came crying to her, she couldn't always take the time to feed me. She couldn't always take the time to hug and kiss me. And so she kept a bottle of Bosco in her refrigerator by the floor. And she said, go get your Bosco, Glenn. And I'd go, and I'd kind of go into a sugar coma, sucking on the bottle. Um, and that's, um, you know, that seems like, well, now that I understand that pattern, now that I understand why, I should be able to stop. But it turned out that I couldn't because there was this voice inside me that said, hey, Glenn, you know what? You're right. Mama didn't love you enough when you were a kid, and she didn't feed you the right way, and you've got this horrendous pattern now, and you're just going to have to keep on binging on chocolate until you can fix the loneliness inside of you. Until you can get rid of all that heartbreak, you're just going to have to keep on binging on chocolate. And I found that it was the same thing with my clients who would struggle in the other areas. Like I found that people that struggle with salty, crunchy things, you know, chips and pretzels and things like that, they tend to be stressed at work. And they would, when they figured that out, they got all excited and said, well, you know, until I can fix my work stress, then I'm just going to have to keep on binging. And so it, it turned out that figuring out why it was a soulful thing to do. I forgive myself more having figured that out. Um, I forgive my mother more having having figured that out. It was a good conversation to have. But knowing why doesn't really fix anything. Just like, um, it's almost like you could have an x-ray and see where your arm is broken, but your arm's still going to be broken after that, right? Right, yeah. So, so you need to be more of a fireman than a detective uh, because there's this raging fire. It doesn't matter who struck the match, when the match was... Okay, so all these things considered, I just wanted you to know how desperate I was feeling and how many decades I went through trying to love myself in. When I came across this alternative addiction literature, and I was simultaneously kind of thinking back on the results of this study, and I realized that it was true, there was this crazy voice in our head that had to be dealt with. And maybe you could intervene at that level and stop trying to love yourself then and try to arrest that voice. And that's what Jack Trimpey's work was about. Um, and so, so I decided that my, my lizard brain was going to be my pig. And I decided I'd make a very clear rule, a line in the sand that said, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again. And another way to say that is that I'll only ever have chocolate on a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a very, very clear rule, right? And then I decided that the chocolate itself during the week was going to be pig slop. Um, I've since evolved this for myself personally to never have chocolate at all. I'll tell you why later. Um, but so the chocolate itself would be pig slop. It belonged in a pig's trough. If I heard any voice in my head that said that I should eat chocolate for any reason whatsoever on a weekday, that was pig squeal. And whenever the pig squealed, I said, well, I don't eat pig slop and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And I certainly don't eat from a pig's trough. And it sounds ridiculous. Here I am, a sophisticated doctor, all these years, this gigantic study, 
And what worked was, well, I don't need pig slop. I don't know if farm animals tell me what to do. Um, but that's what worked. And I, I know now that the reason it worked was it was the first thing that gave me a few extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to wake up and remember who I was and what was important to me. Like, I'm not a pig, I'm a human being. Um, I'm really just talking about a mental construct, by the way. The um, real pigs in the world are very sweet and they need our help, so please don't go around being mad at real pigs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm a vegan and I'm an activist and things like that, so, so it was unfortunate that I chose that construct, but that's really what worked. And um, I had to make a lot of modifications so that um, what I discovered it was that it was really important to develop your own food plan because otherwise your pig would say, well, gee, this guru's diet doesn't really work. We'll have to find another one. And in the meantime, let's just keep binging, right? That's, I call so that- what you're talking about, Glenn, here is that you're retraining the belief, at least in your particular case, that Bosco gave you love. And so you're retraining the belief that Bosco isn't what gives me love. XYZ is what gives me love. Is that really essentially what you're saying? Well, yes, that's what's happening. Okay. But I found you can't really think of it on that level when you're doing it. Okay. Because you don't, what happens is when you see that chocolate bar at the counter at Starbucks and your inner pig is saying, you know, chocolate comes from a cocoa bean and a cocoa bean grows on a plant and therefore chocolate's a vegetable. Um, <laughs> when, that, when that happens, you don't necessarily have access to your best thinking. You, you, it's a very primitive experience and that's why I, I just kind of like sound the alarm that says, pig slop, pig slop, that's pig squeal. I don't need, I don't need pig slop. I don't listen to farm animals tell me what to do. Because at that moment, I, I'm not capable of thinking well, I'm a loving human being and I can find love elsewhere and I need to make a phone call or I need to, you know, connect with a friend or, you know, go find a date or something like that. I, I'm not capable of thinking that. At, the, at that moment, the impulse is taking over and I need something very primitive to wake up. Yeah, it, you, you've got the Homer Simpson saying, moon donuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Well, but, it, it sounds complicated, is it? it? It's not complicated. I, The way that I help people, and th- this sounds harsher in theory than it really is in practice. I, at the end of the call, I'm going to have some place people can go to listen to a couple of sessions if they want to. Um, but, but, but it's really not that complicated. It's, what, I, what I tell people do, to do to get started is to create one rule. Just step back and ask yourself, what's the single worst trigger food or eating behavior that I'm engaged in? Like, how how do my binges start? For some people, it's eating while I'm standing up preparing food. For other people, it's having one bite of chocolate. For some people, it's going back for seconds um, at a restaurant. Um, For some other people, it's not taking five minutes before the meal to meditate. There are all sorts of different trigger behaviors that could set them down the wrong road. And most people, if they step back and really breathe and think about it, they can figure out one that would make a dramatic difference in their life. And, and so what I tell them is, come up with one rule 
And as a guideline, you can do this anywhere you want to, but as a guideline, I'll tell you there are four kinds of rules. There are things that you never do. There are things that you always do. There are things that you'll do conditionally, and there are things that you can do in an unrestricted way. So I will never eat chocolate. I'll never eat chocolate again. That's, that's a never rule. I will only ever have pretzels at Major League Baseball games. That's a, um, that's a conditional rule. I always start the day with two heaping glasses of water. That's an always rule. Or I always have five servings of fruit and vegetables every day. That's an always rule. And an unrestricted rule is something like um, I can eat all the unsauced leafy green vegetables that I want to. Or I can have as much tea or coffee or whatever it is in your personal philosophy. But I tell people to come up with one rule that would address their single worst trigger fruity behavior. And, um, and then just decide, make sure that it's articulated in a way that people outside of you would agree whether you complied or didn't. So a lot of people, their first impulse is, is to say, well, I'll only eat when I'm hungry and I'll always stop when I'm full. That's a guideline. It's a good guideline. It's kind of where true north is. It's a good way to be. But if I followed you around all day, I wouldn't know if you were hungry or you were full. So I wouldn't know. And that ambiguity turns out to be something your pig can take advantage of. So it would be better to say, you know, I will only, I will never eat for more than 45 minutes straight or, or some externally observable thing. But make, make one rule, then decide that you've got an inner enemy. You don't have to call it your pig. You can call it your inner, you know, inner, inner slacker. You can call it your inner, inner rats. People come up with all sorts of things, as long as it's not something cute, because it's not something you want to love and embrace. This is something you want to distance yourself from. Um, you, you decide you have this inner enemy and then you start listening for that inner enemy to try to convince you not to, not to follow your role. And it's just a game. You declare yourself 100% confident that you're never going to break that role. And then all doubt and insecurity gets assigned to your inner enemy. And what that does is it allows you to focus on the goal. It, it frees you of the distraction of doubt and insecurity. It makes really, really clear, it hypersensitizes you to all the rationalizations that previously were kind of mixed in with your own thoughts. It, it, it declares a commitment to separate your constructive versus your destructive thoughts about food, and it installs an algorithm that begins to restore hope and enthusiasm and progress. So just, just one rule, what, one simple rule, you've got an enemy that's gonna to try to talk you into breaking it. You can't get rid of that enemy but you can separate from that enemy 100%. And if you commit to doing that, you'll understand how the Never Binge Again game is played. And um, your, your brain will start to restructure its thoughts about food so that if, if you happen to make a mistake and you get up and you aim at the bullseye again, you have to get better and better. You just do. So. Well, I, and I do notice in your book, and I, I read in your book, actually, that... There's a very important piece of this is not to give yourself the guilt trip all the time uh, when when something happens that <coughs> takes you off of your plan and on and on like that. Well, Glenn, we are ready for a break again. And uh, when we come back from the break, let's just tell everybody how to not only get in contact with you but how to get this book so folks don't go away 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you feeling stuck? Sometimes we just need a little help from a friend. Go beyond ordinary healing and experience the extraordinary healing journey possible with custom Healing Code Coaching with Dr. Marianne Chase. Visit TheHealingWhisper.com. Dr. Chase's coaching sessions can be conducted via Skype or by telephone. If you have half an hour to devote to getting yourself out of that rut, Dr. Marianne is ready to be that friend. Visit TheHealingWhisper.com and click Coaching. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to The Healing Whisper, a return to peace. If you would like to comment or have a question about our show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. If you'd rather send an email, our email address is thehealingwhisper at mindspring.com. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the show and thanks for sticking with me. This is Dr. Marianne Chase and my special guest, Dr. Glenn Livingston, who has written the book, Never Binge Again. We have been talking about the shall we say, psychology behind binge eating and Dr. Glenn's philosophy behind that. And uh, just before the break, I, I brought up this thought of the guilt trips that we will put ourselves on. So Glenn, tell us a little bit more about that guilt trip thing. Well, it turns out that the excessive guilt, there's nothing wrong with just a little bit of guilt or shame if you make a mistake. (laughs) But the excessive guilt that you can't let go of, that turns out to be the pig's voice and it's actually binge motivated. What it's trying to do is wear you down and make you believe that you're too weak to resist the next binge. That's what the pig is really trying to do. So let's just talk about the function of physical pain in the world, right? Because there are There are children who are born without the ability to feel pain, and those children rarely live past four or five years old because they can't take advantage of the benefit of the alert system that pain provides. So we don't want to eliminate the ability to feel pain. Same thing with psychological pain. Guilt and shame are um, 
functional when they're at the right level and something you let go of rather quickly. It's kind of like touching a hot stove. If you touch a hot stove accidentally, you don't want to go and say, oh my God, I'm a compulsive hot stove toucher. What's wrong with me? I'm pathetic. I might as well just put my whole hand on the stove now, right? You, you don't want to do that. Right. What, you just want to figure out why you missed the stove and how you're going to avoid it in the future and then let go and don't touch hot stoves again. That's, that's what you want to do. Same with food. It turns out to be very difficult to continue to binge if you refuse to keep yelling at yourself. Carol Munter told me that. She's another author in the field. Um, and, and it's true. Sure, if you were, so, so a lot of times the first thing that people have to do to stop binging is to learn to forgive themselves more quickly. Um, no matter how bad a mistake there was, no matter how much progress they erased, they need to learn how to forgive themselves more quickly. And that doesn't mean you don't take it seriously. You still analyze what happened. You still think, do you need to change where the bullseye is in any way? Um, or did you just decide to let the pig out of the cage? Was there some squeal that you didn't hear? Um, was there some rationalization that, in retrospect, doesn't make any sense, but it seemed to make sense at the time? Well, write that down so that you won't be fooled by that again, and write down why it doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense, um, and then just ignore it, ignore it going forward. So, um, guilt has a function, but it's um. It should be much quicker and less painful than most people who binge allow it to be, and that's because the pig is busy exaggerating it so that you um, will feel too weak to to go forward with that binging. Right. And when you say squeals, what exactly is a squeal? Well, when I was talking before about the pig saying that, you know, chocolate is a vegetable, you know, it's... Um, uh. Or I, I, another squeal might be, you know, gee, you've done enough exercise today. You could really afford to have some chocolate. Um, but the point is that if I had some chocolate, that would be outside of my predefined plan, right? And so I, I would not be following my best, my best thinking about food. And then I wouldn't be able to trust my best thinking about food. And so therefore, um, even if my body could burn the chocolate, I'm not going to do that right now because I've decided that I don't do this and that's it. As a matter of character, I've decided that that's not a decision that I make around chocolate. That's not that's not the kind of person I've chosen to be around chocolate. So I'm not going to do it. Okay. So so that that's the squeal. Okay. Yeah. I I, I just wanted to get rather clear on that. So how can people get in touch with you and this book? Well, everything's at the website at neverbingeagain.com, and the best thing to do would be to click the big red free bonus section to get the reader bonuses. And when you do that, even though you haven't read the book yet, you'll get a copy of the book in electronic format. So that's either the copy on the Amazon Kindle or the, or the Nook or um, the PDF, depending upon which one you need. What you'll also get is a free set of food plan starter templates. So no matter what diet you like to follow, no matter what philosophy you like to follow, I've given you some examples of how you might construct a set of food rules to support that. So paleo or vegan or macrobiotic or you know if you do one of the point counting systems they're all there for you to help you work that out and i think most importantly i've recorded a whole bunch of sessions with people so that you can hear what it's like to put this into practice dr marianne and i today have been talking about it in theory and i know it sounds a little crazy in theory it, it sounded crazy to me also um, but it really can work 
miracles in practice. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear the hope and enthusiasm and restored sense of power that these people have when I help them to define their own pig and separate from it. Um, so that's what I got. It's all at neverbingeagain.com. You can contact me there if you want to. I do get the messages that goes through my customer service first, but they'll get it to me if you need something from me directly. And um, neverbingeagain.com, click the big red free bonus button. Great. And uh, folks, that's all on the voiceamerica.com site where my show is that you can link to his website right there on the Voice America site as well. And uh, Glenn, do you work with people long distance? Oh, I do. Yeah. Once once you're in the system, you'll find out about our um, coaching programs. So I, I've got an interesting program that's a combination of um, we start everybody off in a group because we, well, for, for several reasons. One, so we can make it more affordable, but also because there are a bunch of common stumbling blocks that we can get everybody over, and then they don't need as much coaching. Um, and then there is an unlimited number of individual sessions to make sure that they customize their food plan and get you know get on it and. It's all guaranteed and everything like that. So I, I do work with people via Skype and telephone from all over the world. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. I'd like to uh, head back to your book for just a little bit. You have this chapter in there that's called Hell is Other People. And uh, I find that uh, quite humorous. Tell us a little bit about that. Other people. Well, that's a quote from John Paul Sartre's, um, who's an existential philosopher. He wrote a very painful screenplay called No Exit, where he determined that everybody was busy defining themselves based upon what everybody else thought of them. I'm, I'm really condensing that. And people in our society walk around thinking that they can't stick to what they want with their food plan because it's going to bother somebody else. And that's really not true. There are some very powerful psychological forces at work, so it goes beyond taste and convenience. Um, you know, in, in our society, as we were evolving, it's very likely that food was scarce, and that if people didn't eat what the tribe was eating, that they risked becoming ill, and then the tribe would have to take care of them, and that became a burden. It might threaten their survival. There, there are all types of reasons like that. And then there are all kinds of economic incentives, which I guess we don't have time to go into. But um, basically, the pressure that you feel to eat like everybody else is eating when you're in a group, it's a real pressure. It's a real psychological pressure. And people feel like the fabric of society is going to unwind if everybody doesn't eat similar, if everybody doesn't break bread together. So it is a force to contend with. But it's much less difficult than you think it is if you don't make the mistake that everybody makes, which is trying to convince people that they should eat like you should eat, right? So if you've decided chocolate's no good for you, and what you don't want to do is say, hey, you know, chocolate is pig slop, and I don't eat pig slop. You shouldn't have chocolate either. <laughs> so yeah. that's not going to work. What they really want when they're addressing the way that you're eating, and they're saying, oh, come on, a little won't hurt, and you know, I made it just for you, what they're really doing is asking for permission for them to continue to eat what they want to eat, and they want to feel like they are loved and belong to the tribe. And so there's a whole variety of techniques for dealing with that, none of which really involve confronting them about the dangers of chocolate. So you could do something like, say, 
it's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. And then switch the conversation to something different. Or you could say, that looks so delicious. Could I have the recipe? Or you could say, you know, my stomach's just a little bit off. Do you have any mint tea? See, because what you're doing there, they were trying to offer you a love gift to accept you into the tribe, to reunite the group. And you're giving them an alternative love gift that they can give you, and they'll be fine with that. So, so it's, a, it's a very simplistic way to look at it. But, but um, there's a variety of things that you can do to make the person feel loved, make them feel like it's okay that they continue to eat what they want to eat without a direct confrontation. Um, the way to remember this is I tell people not to try to send an email to a dog. When you engage in a conversation about why they shouldn't have chocolate, why you don't have chocolate, and why they shouldn't have chocolate, you're, you're having a logical conversation with a dog, and they're just going <laughs> to sit and stare at you. What, what, what they really want is to be petted. That's what they want at that point, and that's what's going to get you through dealing with the other people. Well, that's uh, very good advice, because being social people, not participating in social events is uh, really difficult when you are on a specific diet and uh, I guess society is beginning to accept different eating styles a lot more readily uh, so but there is that and and possibly Glenn isn't it that other people will tend to want to take you off of your path just simply because they're jealous that you're on a path? I, I, find that, I, I mean, that's possible. I find that that's more rare. Okay. I find you, you can almost always neutralize people with these. Uh, if someone really has that motivation, then you won't be able to neutralize it by making them feel loved. Um, but mostly I find that you can neutralize other people's concerns by um, by making them feel loved and kind of sidestepping them. Um, and the people who are jealous and are consciously trying to derail you or even unconsciously trying to derail you, I don't worry as much about those people because they're not really your friends anyway. So um, I don't really think people have a responsibility to to take care of those people. Um, but but I, I find that it's... I find that our pigs will rationalize that... My, that my new healthy behavior is too threatening to this other person in a much higher frequency than it really is threatening to that other person. And the reason I say that is because 98% of the time when I go out to eat, I find that everybody winds up feeling inspired by the way that I eat. Um, it's rare that someone keeps after me about something. It's really rare. Uh, and, and it's because I've separated from my own pig and I recognize how easy it would be to take the excuse that, oh, this is too upsetting to the other person. I really have to have this cake, right? Right. It's, since I've separated from that, um, I, I'm just kind of looking at the reality of what people's motivations are. And um, I don't really think that there are as many food pushers as people think that there are out there. I think that um, I think it has more to do with people wanting to be part of the tribe and feeling threatened that the tribe is at at um, at risk if you're not eating the way that they are. Right. Okay. So now in your book, you also talk about defeating the food industry, which is one of the big threes that uh, have 
tended to get us where we are, big food uh, advertising and the addiction industry. Uh, Glenn, we only have two minutes left in the show. So um, tell us how to defeat that food industry. Well, you need to put the forethought into the rules that you want to follow um, at a time when you are of sound mind and body and motivated to do it. So it, it takes a little bit of work to define what decisions you want to make about food beforehand. But if you're um, if you do that, then you've got some you've got some protection against the uh, confusing conquer techniques that the food industry might use. So for example, I have a rule that says I will never consume acrylamides. Acrylamides are a substance that are created when organic compounds are cooked beyond a certain level. And, um, you know, you could see something in the food industry, like maybe pistachio nuts or, you know, roasted walnuts or something like that, and they'll talk about it being high in omega-3s. But because I have that rule for myself, I know that being high in omega-3s doesn't mean that acrylamides were not formed, right? Because in the roasting process, they form the acrylamides, and then they'll add all types of salt, which puts you at risk for a hemorrhagic stroke, even if you have low blood pressure. Um, so I am very aware that so I, I become more immune to the food industry's emphasis on one good quality of something they're offering when packaged in with that good quality are things that could be dangerous or even carcinogenic to you. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Glenn Livingston. And unfortunately, it is time for the end of the show. And I would like to remind everyone that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And until next week, blessings. Thank you again for taking the advice of your heart and tuning in to The Healing Whisper, A Return to Peace. Please join your host, Dr. Marianne Chase, again next Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to talk to you again next week. Thank you.